You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. Carolina had a game yesterday. That means it is the day after. With the day after podcast on Inside Carolina and Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com and all those guys sponsoring us, I've got Jason Staples and Buck Sanders with me. Uh, gentlemen, I'll start with Buck as I always do. Uh, I think someone poked the bear, perhaps, um, in the pregame leading up to this. And Buck, um, we're laughing about it off air. Anytime your box score under punching says no data to report. Leads me to believe that was a pretty good night for a North Carolina offense. Usually it is. I, I want to say I'm right that North Carolina didn't punt last year either, but uh, there may have been more than one turnover involved. I, I can't recall. But uh, in any event, yeah. Um, and I think the, the big takeaway from this game is uh, the feeling that UNC fans are having this morning and UNC players and coaches and staff are having is tremendously different than they would be feeling had this game been a loss. Because this game, had it been a loss, would have erased a lot of opportunities or at least made those opportunities a lot more difficult to obtain uh, the rest of this year. And it's put pretty much most of North Carolina's Except for Tommy Ashley's uh, twelve to nothing uh, prediction, they they brought everything back into play with this win over Virginia, and, and that's a big swing. You know, when, when you talk about must win games, which got talked about this week, uh, that's a big thing when you consider what the uh, the difference is in this particular instance in Game Three of a season, a win or a loss in this particular game is huge for the Tar Heels moving forward. Jason, looking at the box score, Carolina wins by three touchdowns. Uh, Virginia punted three times. There's the difference in the ball game. But I believe I said something to the effect of Carolina could not allow Virginia's quarterback to look like Lamar Jackson or Bryce Perkins or, like Buck said earlier, Tom Brady. And uh, he looked like all of those, um, pretty much. At least throwing the football, and Carolina still managed to get a 20-point win. Uh, where's the key there? Is it strictly the offense, or did the defense, as we've talked about in the past, they don't have to be perfect. They just need to be perfect on a couple of possessions when Carolina's offense is rolling. Well, I mean, you got to remember, it wasn't just uh, just three punts. They also forced, forced uh, two turnovers, uh, and – that's so they got five stops right so that's that's a lot actually and, and against a, a team that has a good quarterback that's a lot you get five stops there were a lot of drives in this game so i mean because carolina scored so fast it was going to be a game where the defense was going to give up some points but what they did is they got five stops uh and 
actually, I think there's a by uh, an on downs in there too, right? So uh, you look at this in terms of um, of uh, of the uh, the drive chart and all of that. They did their job for a good portion of the game, and they made Virginia earn it when they did do their stuff. And look, I mean, you tip your 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 hat when a quarterback's on fire, but the 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 biggest thing is that they got stops they forced turnovers and the key to all of that was they forced virginia to be extremely one-dimensional look at the rushing yards so they had 553 passing yards but they had 22 attempts for 21 carries on the ground now that includes sack yardage but and that's uh that's one sack for three yards right so they had tw- 21 carries for for uh for 24 yards on the ground and what they did is they forced virginia to be one-dimensional all game and were able to get pressure when they when they needed to uh, a lot i mean he was under pressure he made a lot of uh, big time throws under pressure and then were able to force some turnovers force a couple, a couple of, uh, of stops force those three stop and those four, those three punts. And that's enough in today's football. You, you basically, it's not about necessarily yardage. It's not about those other things. And this has been something that Mac's been preaching from the beginning. This is something that we've talked about for a long time since before Mac took over is that today's football, you do not look at the numbers the way that you did in the 1990s. Because you've got more more drives, you've got offenses are are better, quarterbacks are better than they were, and the the rules favor the offense. So you have to look at it more as is the defense getting stops? Are they forcing turnovers? And are they getting the ball back to the offense in ways that actually help your offense? Because you got to score points today. Yep, and, and Carolina puts up a boatload of them against Virginia. But let's stay on the Carolina's defensive side of the ball. Um, to the to Jason's point, just make enough plays, um, get some stops, turnovers. I thought Conley's interception was a great one. But one thing that I noticed early in the ball game is Cedric Gray out there starting and getting run, and that's a guy I believe on the pregame show Inside Carolina Live from the Bowls lot. One of the questions from our uh, listeners was over under tackles for said Gray, and I think it was seven, seven and a half, and we all took the under. Well, he almost got there. Um, in a starting role, I thought that really helped Carolina to get out on the at a strong start. I mean, offense was explosive from gate, but defensively, I thought Gray did some good things out there. He he definitely did, and uh, in fact, I think listening to that pregame show, uh, Gregory Hall kind of nailed it that it looked like that Gray would at least uh, split carries with Asante, and with Gray being a different kind of linebacker, taller, longer that sort of thing, and Virginia having some tight end weapons. Uh, it looked like a good bet that uh, Cedric Gray would get some run in this game, and he did, and and he had a very nice pass breakup in the end zone uh, against a uh, Virginia Tech tight end uh, there to save a touchdown. So, um, yeah, he, he was a, a factor, I think, uh, you can look at some of the individual uh, performances, especially by some of the youngsters. I think Miles Murphy, again, looked good. Uh, 
you know, he, he has established himself now as somebody who's going to come to play every week and Cayman Rucker, two of the sacks that North Carolina got came at his hands. He's definitely somebody that, uh, I don't know what else they're doing with him at, at offense, uh, outside linebacker, but when he's in there as part of a pass rush, uh, package it's uh see ball hit ball you know uh, so he's doing a good job um there's uh nice to see the return of storm duck even though they gave up 554 yards passing you know uh on his return and as good as their three cornerbacks were um i thought virginia did a good job of kind of going to the middle of the field some and focusing on the intermediate passing game as opposed to, uh, you know, taking it against the corners, although they did a good bit of that as well. You don't throw for that many yards without uh, a little bit of versatility there. But there were some definitely some uh, UNC guys that stepped up, uh, especially some of the lower classmen and uh, starting to flash more and more. And I, I'm hoping maybe even against Georgia Tech, we're going to see more and more of those uh, – young uh, defensive studs began to flash even more as the season goes. Yeah, Jason, looking at the uh, defensive box score, I mean, Bateman himself has talked about it forever, is getting pressure and and doing things. Um, and Mac has fussed or complained all year that they haven't gotten enough pressure. Well, you look at Carolina's defensive stats, you got three sacks, you got six tackles for loss, um, like Buck mentioned, Rucker has two and two of those, um, two of those. But I look at also quarterback hurries, and I think that puts some pressure on Armstrong, even though he had a great day and he made some great plays. But Tamon Fox with four hurries, uh, seven hurries overall. I, what did you see from Bateman's defense in that regard? Were they doing something different? Was it just guys lining up and playing? Um, or was there some schematic thing? that Bateman tried to do against Virginia without looking at any tape. You know, we can't go to the tape on the day after podcast because I have not watched the game again for sure. And what'd you see? It was, to me, it was just, a, a, it was nothing special schematically. I mean, he didn't do a ton of stuff. I mean, he brought the corner a few times. I mean, it was, it was Jay Bateman's defense. It's what he does. Uh, what the difference was, was guys balled out. And I mean, I want to give, came in Rucker a helmet sticker man because he that guy played a whale of a game uh he he I want to see how many snaps he had but it had to be something like uh 35 snaps or so and he made he made himself evident over and over again out there I mean they they dropped him in coverage and he'd be back right where uh right and you know they'd throw shallow shallow crosses or whatever and who's making the tackle 25 I mean that guy um he he is a football player and found Unless I'm mistaken he actually started the game yeah I, I, that, that's that's that was my recollection as well and, and he's earned it I mean that guy has he finds ways to to get on the tape every time you watch when he's on the field he finds ways into the frame and that's the kind of guy you want to have on your defense I mean he he he's something else and uh and so you know give him a, a helmet sticker uh I also thought uh, JQ Conley played a really good, good football game. I mean, he had a few that he'd, he'd like to have back. There are a couple uh, that, that one of the touchdowns uh, down on the, uh, that was, I think the last touchdown that they scored down on, down on the uh, 
on the goal line on on a uh, little wide little flip out to the wide receiver he just missed the the tackle there overran it a little bit and you could see the frustration after he missed the tackle and he's got to make that tackle but the interception was a was a big time play uh they targeted him early in the game i mean it was pretty obvious that they had identified him as as the potential duck in the uh in the secondary uh where it's like okay let's let's see if we can isolate him and get him in situations where we're going to throw it deep on him and see if he can cover. And I thought he answered the bell, which is a really good sign for Carolina going forward. Cause I think that's one of the things that teams are, are still going to challenge a little bit is okay. This guy, you know, how good is he in space? How good is he actually going to be as a deep safety? How good is he going to be if we can get him in a situation where he has to be responsible down the field and he handled himself well. Uh, and again, a guy that, that finds his way into the frame over and over and over again, making tackles. Uh, and Cedric Gray playing as much as he did. I actually, my, what I noticed is that uh, Asante missed a particular tackle. And I think he missed an assignment either. I think he missed an assignment a little bit on that play and then had, had been a little uneven before in the next drive, Cedric Gray got a bunch, got a bunch of drives in a row. Uh, so I, I think uh, he may have gray may have just won that job. Uh, you know, you'll still see Asante play, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if gray just essentially won that job in this game. Cause he, he, he played really well, was physical. Uh, and Asante, I think they've been frustrated because Asante has, has overrun a lot of tackles and has not, and has not made some of the tackles that he should have. And, and gray finished, finished the job in a, in a number of places. So um, yeah, this is, I think there was a lot of major positives in this game that came out of things uh, as I was watching. I mean, maybe the biggest positive was watching Virginia as a physical offensive line. They want to be balanced. I mean, that's what all the run stuff that they do, all the motion, all the things that they do try to, they're, they're trying to be balanced. They're trying to get it to where they can run on you. And they could not handle Carolina's interior. Carolina and, and you you can go back and watch the tape over and over again. You watch what's going on on the interior and Carolina has built a wall. So, you know, the, the basically the, the edges and, and the backers are running straight downhill because Carolina's interior won this football game over and over and over again. And that made Virginia one, one dimensional. And that's why you win the football game. Yeah, one more question on the defensive side, and then we'll flip to the offensive side where there's a ton. And I also want to talk about some other things that were going on in that ball game. But, Buck, uh, to Jason's point there, the defensive line, you know, I always would look at the stat sheet last couple of years, and it was always loaded up at the top with the upperclassmen. It was, or it was always Chaz Surratt, you know, with 12 tackles and nobody else. I look at this one, and it's so balanced. But what I also see is it's so balanced with a ton of young guys. And people, you know, there's some folks on our message boards, and rightfully so, we'll look and see 550-some yards passing or whatever. But Jason's point about shutting down the run game that wins the game, I mean, this is what – we'll talk about the offense after the break, but this defense, what we saw, the young guys flashing, is what we've talked about for months now. Um, with Mac Brown's recruiting, and here it here it comes. One thing we haven't touched on so far is that 
obviously they didn't have very many rushing yards. And so you, you would expect this to be a, uh, correlation of that, but their, their longest run of the day was seven yards. And, you know, when you don't get any explosive runs out of your run game, and if you think about it, that's a really demoralizing play. If you, if you have a running back like Chandler did on several different occasions, bus one for, you know, 30, 35 and, and move defensive players around, shove them around, uh, just, uh, it's sort of a manhood robbing uh, play when, when you just brutalize a defense at the second and third levels and just toss guys out of the way and run for, you know, 30 and 40 yards. If, if you can't get a single run over 10 yards, then the interior of the defense, as Jason's talking about, is, uh, you know, doing their job. And, and so are the guys on the outside because they're not letting those guys get to the edge and, and get around and get down field, you know, on the, on the defense. So I think the, the lack of explosive plays in the, in the run game is as nearly as remarkable as the low total overall. That's a great point. I mean, when you're looking at the Russian averages, Carolina's what eight something in this game, Virginia's one. And, Again, that defensive front. I remember great Carolina defenses that teams would just run into the wall, you mentioned, run into the brick wall over and over and over um, and get nothing. And, and more so to me than the, than the passing yards given up is the rushing yards or the per carries or per attempt numbers are pretty important. Let me take a short break, talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. If you were in the bowls lot yesterday – um, a, you probably had a great time. B, you also had a chance at some Johnny T-shirt swag. Uh, we always have some gear out there. They're always providing great things for Inside Carolina subscribers and those that join. And if you're in the Bowls lot or in the Bowls lot and enjoyed the show and you're not a premium subscriber, get there. Get it. Get subscribed. I'm sure Jason will have some great breakdowns on the film from this week you'll be able to see. And you always catch Buck's column, which is up now. The, the man is a machine on his column. And he's got another great one today um, after the win at Virginia or Carolina's win against Virginia in Keenan Stadium. So support Johnny T-Shirt. They support us 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. And also support Blue Shark Vodka, Jimmy's Seafood, all the different places that support Inside Carolina. Let's look after them as well. We'll be right back. It is the day after. That's Buck. That's Jason. I'm Tommy. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Boys, we're back. Day after podcast, Carolina blows Virginia out. Jason, I'll start with you on this end. One thing, a uh, couple things that really stick out to me in this game, two events. Um, one, the Virginia guy talking smack before the game. I mean, I don't understand why you ever do that. And we said if you need talk to be motivated, 
that's not really a good thing. I think I think they hurt him. But two, Mac talked about how Virginia's comeback there at the end of the first half was probably the best thing to happen for this team because a it showed some mental toughness that maybe they've lacked and maybe will and that sort of thing carries over more than anything I think for this team the rest of the year your thoughts on those and others as we dig into the offensive side well yeah I mean I think you're it still sticks that if you if you need talk you you're, you're not motivated enough and and I don't think this team needed that at all uh the the, the question in this game was going to be whether or not the offense was going to be able to execute at the level that they, that they needed to. And, and, you know, going back to the, uh, to the game plan podcast, that's, that's why Greg Barnes and I were both skeptical coming into this game is you're going to have, the offense was going to have to show me that they were going to be able to execute with all the new faces and that they, you know, we talked in that podcast about how they didn't have an identity yet. And they needed to, ha- they needed to develop an identity they needed to be, uh, they needed to be able to to make good decisions at the quarterback position, protect and you know get enough running lanes to get the backs to the next level. They needed their outside wide receivers to win some matchups. They needed the running backs to finally you know do some things once they got a yard two or two past the line of scrimmage, and all of that stuff needed to happen at once. I'm like, what are the odds of that? of fixing all those things at once. Apparently pretty good (laughs) because they came out and handled their business at each of those spots. Despite the offensive line, not being as healthy, despite, you know, the, the, the outside wide receivers basically still be in the same group. And despite some of the things that they'd had trouble with in the RPO game, they were able to basically simplify on some of that stuff I do think they did some stuff schematically to help help themselves out offensively that, that really made a difference in this game. And honestly, I'm not sure what Virginia's game plan was on defense. Uh, I, th- I think Virginia helped them as well. Uh, I, was, I was surprised by what I saw from Virginia defensively. It was like, are they trying to get themselves shelled? Like, th- this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me in terms of how they're, they're going about this. But I thought Virginia helped them a little bit on uh, schematically, and then they had the right answers to everything Virginia presented them, and helped themselves out significantly in the um, in the uh, in in the schem- in the schematic part of, of things offensively. But then those guys just executed. They they actually you know they ran and caught. That you know they how looked to be in. 2020, 2019, full, late 2019 form. I mean, he had not looked as comfortable the first couple of games. In this game, he looked like the Sam Howell we expected to see this year. And it helped that when he was putting the ball out there, those guys actually caught it and did something with it. I mean, Josh Downs, the Josh Downs that we saw out there is the Josh Downs we've expected. And he had, he's been the one guy that's been the guy we expected from the beginning. But then you look at the running game, and that's really – I mean – this game boils down to me to Virginia having <laughs> wow Virginia having that 24 total rushing yards 20 or 21 total rushing yards 24 not including sack yards and Carolina having 392 rushing yards 
And then, you know, you pull out 25 sack yards out of that. So yeah, that's, there's your difference in the game. And it's because they found ways to consistently run the football. I mean, you look at Ty Chandler, 9.9 yards per carry, Caleb Hood, 7.3 yards per carry, Sam Howell, 7.5 yards per carry. Okay. Well, you do that. You're not going to lose a lot of football games. Buck, is it safe to say that what we saw on the field last night is the reason behind all the preseason hype and all the, the expectations of this season? I mean, that product last night is why Carolina was in the top 10, is why Carolina fans were talking about playoffs and all that stuff. But didn't happen early. It certainly happened now, but that's it right there, right? That's what we expected. With one twist, I think, um, you know, we expected to see a lot of what we saw. We, we heard great things about Ty Chandler, you know, in off season camp and, you know, during the spring and heard great things about Caleb hood, you know, and their potential contributions. We really had the opportunity to see what Josh Downs could do in the Texas A&M game last year. And, and we knew that would carry over you, being able to get that open um, on, on essentially just your ability to move. He's just has quicks and a different gear, um, when he's running routes that allows him to be spectacular, uh, at that slot position. And as Jason said, obviously they, they still need some outside receivers to step up and seize more of a, a part of the offense. But the thing we we've saw in the last two weeks that we weren't expecting, uh, at least I wasn't expecting, maybe other people were, but, um, Sam Howell running the ball, Sam Howell has changed the game for UNC this year, the last two weeks. Uh, Jason talks about it all the time that when your quarterback all of a sudden becomes a threat in the run game, that changes the numbers for everything. Uh, the defense just doesn't have the same numbers because they've got to worry about uh, not just one running back in the in the backfield. They've got to worry about two, and they could be headed in the opposite directions. One could be headed east, the other one could be headed west, and they've got to have the numbers there and the uh, gap control to account for all that. And Sam hasn't been, you know, he, Lamar Jackson running the ball. I mean, you know, uh, but. To get over 100 yards, what did he end up with, 115, something like that, uh, rushing yards? You 112. Get, 112. You, get, you get 112 yards out of your quarterback, um, you know, that, that really puts the defense in a bind because they've got to always worry about where he's going, what he's going to do. Some of those were um, design runs, but a good many were also Sam – just escaping and making a play when nothing was there. And, and that also breaks a defense's heart. They've got the, you know, the play drawn up, they've got it blocked out. It's all good. And then, the the quarterback squirts away and beat and gets down and gets the first down and you, you got to go back and do it all over again. So I, I think the one thing we did not expect to see, or at least I did not, um, I knew that Sam could run the ball some. He did it against Temple in, in the bowl game in 2019. But after that, he, he, it was not something that he really 
uh, hung his hat on in 2020, but the last two weeks, he he's made life very difficult for defenses, just being able to turn a little something into nothing, not get behind the chains, um, and, and do all of those good things for the offense. Jason, do you think his running this year is more based? And I don't know exactly how to ask the question, but more based on Phil Longo needing him to do that? Or do you think it's more based on him just them actually needing to use it? The same, same thing. Sam needs to run this year. Um, he did not need to run last year. Why is the answer is the question you're looking for? Right. Is, is the, is his rushing this season based on need in your opinion, or just based on the fact that he has that ability and they wanted to show it? Well, I, I think it's based on that. They need to do it. They, they've judged that they have to do that in order to have the kind of success offensively that they want to, especially in the run game. And again, it gets back to what Buck was just talking about, that you're, you're changing the, the blocks, you're changing the angles a little bit when, you're, when you add the quarterback as a runner, you, you gain a gap. You, you have to account for an extra player. You're plus one, as, quarter, as coaches like to say. Uh, and they want to they, they be able to run the ball, and they have to be able to run the ball. And the way that they're running the ball right now is that they have to be plus one. And, you know, it's pretty simple on that. So... I actually would, would have liked to have seen them run Sam a little less late in the game. I mean, there, there are a few few plays there where he had lots of guys taking shots at him where it was like, mm, I just do not like this at all. <laughs> like, I just start handing it off. But, yeah, through the first part of the game in particular, I mean, I think it was really uh, – it was imperative that he be able to, to run and change some things because they, they're keying so much on the, on the backs that – he was out there alone. I mean, one of the reasons he was able to average as many yards per, per carry as he did is he was getting to the edge. And in many cases he was getting to the edge and they didn't have a guy out there responsible for him. You got a safety coming from the, uh, from the secondary that's basically trying to make the tackle on him. And he's already three, four yards upfield before that guy gets close to arrive. And if he's able to make him miss at all, then you got an eight, 10, 12 yard play. Well, yeah, you'll take that as an offensive coordinator. So they're having to do it because you have to be balanced as an offense. If you're going to have success, you have to be balanced. You hear this from every, every coach at every level. You have to be balanced. You have to, you can't just throw the ball as Virginia showed, right? I mean, they did score 39, but they had enough stops to prevent, to keep them from winning the game. If you can only do one thing, unless that thing is basically just run at will. I mean, if you're, if you're able to just run through, you know, hand the ball off and it's a gap, B gap, then you don't have to show balance because you're just dominating in the one thing, but you have to be able to do something else when teams start taking away what your strength is. And if that, you know, last year, the reason that they didn't have to worry as much about running, running Howell is they were really good running the football with the backs to the point where okay, you can add an extra guy to run defense and we're still probably going to be able to hand it off to one of those guys and get yardage. Secondly, if you do add that plus one, we're going to eat you alive downfield. Deami Brown, when you bring that plus one, that extra safety into the box, you're, you're single covering our guys and one of those guys is going to win deep and that's that. 
And so you're already effectively plus one because of the balance with the downfield passing game. This year, that's not been as much of a guarantee, right? So, you know, you're not, if you're not winning those one-on-ones, then they can add the plus one to the box. And now, now the only way to get the plus one is to be balanced in the running game. So you can be balanced in run versus pass, but you can also be balanced in how you run it with some option stuff and adding the quarterback to it. So essentially what Howell running does is he adds balance back to the offensive side of the ball. And then interestingly, as he ran it a little bit more and they had to focus a little bit more attention onto that, he then that opens up some things in the passing game, though I don't want to pretend that him running is actually what opened up the passing game in this one entirely, because I look at the, at how the game started and what was it? Three of his first, uh, three of his first five throws went for long touchdowns. Yeah. Right. You know, first, first throw 11 yards to Antoine green. It's the only catch green had. It's sort of odd to me, the usage of, of green at this point where, you know, he's, he's, he plays most of the first half and then just sort of seems to not play as much as the game goes on. So if he's getting his catches, it's early, but uh, you got, you know, first, first down, 11 yards to, uh, to Antoine Green to start the game. And then 59 yards to Josh Downs. Then the next, th- uh, so then there's an incompletion. Then 59 yards to Josh Downs. Then 37 yards to Josh Downs. And then 75 yards to Choffrey Brown. Those were the next three throws. <laughs> so they had balance in the passing game even before that, but they wanted to be as balanced as they could in this game, knowing that they were going to be in for a bit of a track meet. And that's why you're, that's why you end up doing that. Buck, if we're going to talk about nearly 400 yards rushing, we got to talk about the offensive line. We have hammered them here. They have been hammered unmercifully um, in the first two weeks, two and a half, uh, ever since Virginia Tech game. Uh, Ben Sherman has posted the snap counts. It's up on Inside Carolina on the premium board. McKeithen and Richard, 70 snaps each, and then it just sort of breaks down. Johnson, 51. William Barnes with 40. I'd wager – he hadn't had that many in a game in his Carolina career. Um, heard Tucker and Azudu and Brian Anderson might not play. They got uh, snaps as well. But this unit, I think this unit was probably challenged pretty heavily um, all week, if not before that. I thought they stepped up. I mean, I didn't see – we've talked about Sam Howell having all day to throw at times. I didn't see – I saw an offensive line that played last year, but with different guys doing it for the most part. You have 400 yards rushing. We've got to give them props. But what do you say? Well, it's interesting. uh, When the North Carolina offense does lay an egg, and it's happened, uh, happened at Virginia Tech, um, the very first thing you lead with when you discuss offense is the offensive line sucks. Uh, you, You go there immediately. Um, when they, when they're doing their job, you talk about them third or fourth, uh, down the, down the line. And, you know, not only did, uh, Barnes and Zidu and, um, uh, Montillas and Johnson and all those guys play, um, they subbed them in and out, you know, they, it wasn't like, you know, they, um, uh, didn't they put Barnes in and when uh, Tucker was hurt, they started Barnes. And then later on, they pulled let Barnes out, pulled him in, put him back in. They rotated in a way, 
some of the offensive line. Um, and, you know, we've, we've heard uh, all during offseason that they felt like they had at least eight, maybe nine guys, maybe 10 guys they could trust. And um, through those first two games, everybody under the sun has called us uh, a bunch of uh, liars because you, they didn't see it on the field. You know, uh, and we, we were just reporting what we were being, what we were hearing both, you know, uh, front facing in front of the media and also behind the scenes that there were several offensive linemen that were playing well in this game. We actually saw it now. I don't think, uh, Virginia as a defensive line or as a front seven is a necessarily the defense. You want to gauge how good your offensive line is, um, you know, that, that kind of test will come maybe further down the line against Miami or somebody like that. But, um, at the same time against a average or, you know, middle of the road defense front seven defense, this offense can do its job. And hopefully the, the job that they did against Virginia, um, last night is something they can build on, you know, the, the one thing that everybody tells you, and this goes almost double for offensive linemen, the one thing you cannot replace is snaps. You got to have snaps in order to, you know, get experience and be, you know, grow and develop. It's not enough for you to to pump iron and eat right and you know look good on the practice field. You've got to get in and get some. Uh, snaps under live bullets and said so they got a little of that last night hopefully they can build on that uh so that they run against a front seven that's a little bit better than what virginia's is um they can uh improve uh, from where they were before this game but yeah i think everybody should take their hats off to the to the offensive line they did what they needed to do in this game and you can't ask for any more than that Jason, I'll let you chime in there because you were nodding in agreement feverishly when Buck was talking about the level of Virginia's um, players there at those positions. But uh, I hear you on the Georgia State side. They got pushed around on Georgia State. Virginia's P5 school with scholarships and all that. But if Carolina had run for 200, I'd say, yeah, maybe. But they ran for 400. I think the offensive line deserves – a lot of folks to get off their backs, us included, me included, um, given what they did. But let me ask you a specific question about the rotation Buck mentioned. Talked about eight to ten guys could play. Well, last night they played eight, and Brian Anderson was the low on the totem pole with 19 snaps. What did you think you saw um, without going back and looking at any film from this unit and who stood out? I thought Barnes, and I think Mac mentioned him in the postgame presser, I thought Barnes – um, maybe started to live up to a little bit of the hype he's had since he's been at Carolina. Yeah, I felt like I felt like Barnes actually came in and was pretty much, for the most part, indistinguishable from what what we've seen from that position the last couple of years. I mean that that's a very very good good sign, a good positive uh, that he he basically stepped in, and I didn't think there was a, an appreciable drop off at that right tackle spot. So that's good. Um, though that right tackle spot has not been quite as good as it should be 
at, at different points. He was, he was not a drop off and showed some potential to be better. Uh, so that's, that's, I'm, I'm pleased about that. I do think, and Buck said this, maybe Virginia is not the, the team that you want to measure against in this regard. And I think it's not just a matter of talent. The thing to me is that Virginia, this was what I was kind of alluding to early in the game or earlier in the podcast is that Virginia's game plan for what they did up front, I thought was odd. It was strange because they came in and there were a number of times where they decided that they were going to play a three-man front with two backers and no one else in the box. So basically we're on five-man fronts against Carolina where if Carolina does run anything where you've got a running quarterback option, you've got five blockers plus the running back plus the quarterback. You got seven in there. And you're going with a five-man box? I mean, I can see a six maybe if you're going to add that safety as the, as the support. But there were a number of times where they went five-man box. Now, this is where, to Carolina's credit, the offensive line, they went hat on hat, and then you've got a guy going into the secondary, where, which is exactly what you should get if you get a five-man box. But that's just not <laughs> – it's not what I would have done against this Carolina defense, what I would want to, or against this Carolina offense. It's what I would want to do if I were, if I were scheming against or game planning against this Carolina offense right now is I would want to actually load. It's paradoxical. I would load the box and focus my coverage attention on Josh Downs. And I'm going to force the outside receivers to beat me, but I'm going to, I'm going to put an extra guy in the box. And I'm going to say, if you, if you can beat my corners over and over and over again, downfield, then I'll tip my cap. But I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna let you be be two dimensional. Because I know Howell can throw that that downfield stuff really well. I'm not gonna let you be two dimensional. I'm gonna shut down the running game. I'm gonna focus on pressuring the quarterback as much as possible, and I'm gonna press press the heck out of your offense. That's what I'm gonna try to do. And they did the opposite of that, which I thought was, like I said, that was strange to me. Let me it, jump in here and ask Jason a, a question while he's on a roll. Uh, at this point talking about this, but one of the things that surprised me is, and we talked about this last week, you guys talked about it on the game plan and so on and so forth. Um, you know, Virginia tech beat North Carolina by at least in part by, uh, hiding the football from them, trying to, you know, use uh, a slow tempo, um, you know, milk the clock kind of approach and, and keep the ball out of North Carolina's hands. And we're very effective doing it. Virginia went exact opposite. They played probably a faster tempo than, than they're used to playing. Um, and, you know, at some point it got so bad that I think uh, Bateman and uh, Mac Brown had to have a come to Jesus meeting with the, uh, referees about substituting you know if you're going to let them substitute you're going to let us substitute too and going that fast you know you got to give us a chance to get our guys in the game um because they got called for you know 12 men on the field there that one time in, in any event uh they 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 went way too fast and and the one thing that jason mentioned last week uh that you know i, I put a, kind of put in my back pocket is with everything that Virginia does, you know, using two and three different quarterbacks to run the ball and, 
uh, you know, two tight ends and just moves and switching and, and all of that and going fast while they're doing it. Um, and you don't really have as much time to rep that stuff as say Phil Longo, who is going to have five plays and you're going to rep them 50 times each, you know, uh, headed into a game. I didn't think that was the best strategy for playing North Carolina. Um, you know, with, uh, going just as fast as it's humanly possible for Virginia didn't seem like the right approach to me, uh, because that's not what worked for Virginia tech. And I'm not sure anybody else has really used that against Phil Longo, uh, with any success. If, if you're going to give Longo 70, 75, snaps. I don't know how many they ended up with, but they must've ended up with a ton, uh, with that many yards, although they only had 14, I think completions in the past game, 300 some yards, but only 14 completions. I don't know. I, I, I wasn't really sure what Bronco was attempting to accomplish there. And I'll, every time I see a game coached by, uh, Bronco Mendenhall, I use of giving props for being solid you know, well-conceived game plan and approach, but I, I'm not sure that was there, uh, last night against, uh, North Carolina. So I, I wanted to get Jason's opinion about that. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, that was the thing I, 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 when I, when I went to bed last night, what I was, what I was thinking about, it was like, man, they, you know, Mac and his staff just outcoached Bronco and his staff in this game. I, I just didn't see the coherence to what Virginia was trying to do on both sides of the ball in terms of how they went after Carolina. I just didn't see it as making a lot of sense to me in terms of their strengths and then Carolina's strengths. Now, by the way, Carolina only had 68 plays in this game, but you only need 68 plays to score 59 points when you're averaging 10.3 yards per play. (laughs) To me, it wasn't so much about the, track meet aspect of it as just what they did defensively in taking that uh we're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna essentially gift you the running game and hopefully you're not able to 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 both run and pass on us to me that that just seemed seemed strange uh I think one of the reasons that they went all out speed and they went for so many drives is because they fell behind 14 points right away. And, you know, they, they basically decided that they were going to turn this into a, that that their best shot of beating Carolina was to score as many points as they could, you know, regardless of what happened on the defensive side. I think they, I think they came into this game expecting that Carolina would score points and that they would just have to do whatever possible to turn it into a track meet. And this gets to what I, I suspect may have underlied what they were doing. And that's that, my impression, based on what I saw of their game plan, their game plan was a plan of a team that doesn't believe it has good corners. That believes that its corners can't hold up on the outside. That, that was the thing that, as I, was, as I was watching it, and as I've been trying to think through, like, why in the world would you come out and play that setup against Carolina with, the, with where Carolina has struggled specifically this year, why would you do that? Because that seems like the, the most likely thing to, to basically help them find themselves 
to give them those five man boxes or six man boxes against a, uh, a tight end set, those sorts of things. Why would you do that? And then I remember what it looked like when they had a cornerback running down the sidelines on, on a, uh, on an interception in the end zone. And then I think, you know, maybe that's why, because Sam Howell actually managed to run stride for stride with that guy. Howell threw that pick and yeah, he had a bit of an angle, but he also was getting blocked a little bit at the end and that guy didn't run away from him. And you go, okay, maybe that's why they decided to, uh, to do what they could and, and keeping, keeping the safety over top and playing more conservatively there because maybe their corners just can't run. And, you know, you saw what happened when Joffrey Brown, when he got, he got free at all. I mean, it was a laugher. There was nobody in the secondary that was even within eight, 10 yards of him. So and he granted, caught that ball in the middle of the field where there were like 10 guys in front yeah, of him yeah. you know, so, and he I mean, ran past granted, them all. Granted, he's one of the fastest players in the ACC. So you, you expect him to run away from guys, but I mean, it was one of those like, whoa, okay. Those guys can't run. So I think there, there was a bit of Virginia recognizing that they got guys that can't run in their secondary and trying to protect that. And they, and trying to find ways smoke and mirrors wise to hide that. But, you know, that was pretty evident from about the third snap of the game when they ran a little RPO and tossed it out to Josh Downs and 59 yards later, I mean, it looked like a tech mobile play where you, where you called the wrong play defensively. And you're like, wait, how did they, how is there nobody there? To, to to at least turn this into a 15 or 20 yard gain. I mean, he just ran and hid. There was just nobody there. It looked like he was playing in a different speed than anybody else. And actually there were things, there were times in this game where Josh Downs, I mean, he's smaller uh, than, than, uh, than this guy, but he, the way his acceleration, his zero to zero to 60 acceleration reminded me of Percy Harvin and just the way he runs kind of a little bit of forward lean and just sort of looks like a guy that's just, you know, uh, stepping on the accelerator. And when he steps on the accelerator, all of a sudden he's in fat, he's in fast forward and everybody else on the screen is in regular speed. He, there were times where just his, his, the, the style that he ran with reminded me of Percy Harvin and the speed difference that he showed compared to him and everybody else out there, at least on the defensive side looked like, you know, old Percy Harvin stuff going back to the Florida days. So, you know, if he can do that against other teams, well, you know, that makes things real easy for you as a coordinator. But I think it, I think there was some lack of athleticism in Virginia's secondary that got exposed here. And that's probably based on what they did schematically, what they were trying to avoid is getting their guys into a position where they could, where their lack of athleticism in the back, in the back four, back five would, would get exposed. And I think Carolina identified that and went after it immediately and then realized that it was probably even more severe than they, than they anticipated coming into the game and went, well, okay, well we can just, you know, there's not just one duck. There's about four of them here that we can, you know, these are clay pigeons that we can shoot at. Uh, so I should probably use pigeon instead of duck. Uh, so we'll say not a storm duck. Yeah. They're not a storm duck. Exactly. <laughs> given, given that Carolina's best cover guy when he's healthy is probably the duck uh, in their secondary. Um, so I guess, you know, for Carolina, it's, you know, you're identifying the pigeon, uh, that you're, that you're shooting at. And they found that basically they could kind of, they didn't have to do that identifying because they were all, they were all 
inferior coverage guys. So I think that's what this boils down to. Yeah, I thought, you know, some of it was um, I thought Bronco said, we're going to do what we do and we're going to beat you doing what we do. And they realized early, like you talked about, great tech mobile reference. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people on this message board uh, or listening to this that have only seen that game on YouTube videos or whatever. We used to play that all the time. Josh Downs looking like Bo Jackson in Tech Mobile running away Bo from everybody. Jackson. Uh, we talked about Josh. I wanted to get into Josh. I mean, we've covered him already. The catch in the end zone was ridiculous. I mean, that guy, I said, what, 1250? I'm going to hype this up. 1250 over under. I might push it. I think I'm going to push it out to 1500. I mean, they, he, nobody can guard him. It is. And, and what he talked about in the postgame presser is, Longo and the guys did things to isolate him on safeties. That's not fair. Uh, Carolina's got a guy that is simply not fair um, in Josh Downs there. Buck, I'll let you close the show. We've we've been going about an hour-ish or so. Carolina gets a huge win, a must win. Um, goes down to Georgia Tech. I'm not quite sure what happened with Clemson and Georgia Tech. I saw the score and I heard what happened. Um, some weird college football games um, in the last, past couple of weeks, especially yesterday. Clemson's but, offense Clemson's offense is not what they've been. They don't have a, a, an explosive back that's a true back, and they don't have a quarterback who can run. And that's so much of their offense the past 15 years has been predicated on having a quarterback that's a legit run threat. And now they've got a quarterback who can throw it through a brick wall, but he's also got concrete – he's got cinder blocks for feet. <laughs> so, you know, they're having to figure out how – they're having to figure out how to how to have a more diverse offense when they when they basically recruited guys that don't actually fit what they like to do on offense, which is they, they've kind of recruited themselves into a into an interesting situation where they've got talent, but it's not a fit for what they do. And they're they're It's going to be real interesting to watch Clemson this year as they try to figure out how to how to handle that, because Georgia Tech Collins and, and, and that staff, they do a great job defensively, even though they've not had talent and they're starting to get a little more talent there. And Clemson's more vulnerable than they've been just because of the disconnect between scheme and talent. That's yep. what happened. Yeah. The question is, can anybody in the ACC step up and make that happen? We'll see. But close the show. Carolina gets the big win. Georgia Tech coming up. Is this team back on track or is uh, it still very much um, up in the air? We talked about after three games, we'll know what this team is. I may hedge on that a little bit because I'm not sure it was what we saw last night completely. Um, and it's definitely not what we saw in Blacksburg two weeks ago. Yeah, I think that's a valid point, Tommy, that you, you kind of got two outlier games, really. Um, one where they lost to a uh, Virginia Tech team where they had they were a touchdown uh, favorite in that game. And they won by 20 points against a team where they were a touchdown favorite at home. And so there's kind of an outlier both ways. Um, I, I do think that um, this team has to guard against the syndrome of, wow, we just played a great game. I, I expect them to move up maybe five spots in the AP 25 because they had one of the better games of anybody in the top 25 uh, over the weekend. And, and going to, to go down to Atlanta thinking that, yeah, we're really good. You know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to take care of this Georgia Tech team, no problem. Uh, they, they've got to really work hard 
Mac has to work hard. His staff has to work hard to make sure they don't have, you know, that kind of, um, what the heck game, uh, you know, at, at a venue like, uh, Atlanta or, you know, it, uh, when Florida state comes to town or, um, uh, you know, those, those games. So they, they've got to guard against that game. I think, uh, Greg Barnes has been preaching all this past week that the games they've got coming up, they shouldn't lose any of them until they get to the Miami game. Uh, it would be their first big contest uh, coming up after uh, the Virginia game. Well, they've got the Virginia game under their belt. Uh, there's a chance they can go into the Miami game. What would they be, five and one then? Um, and, you know, Miami, uh, they didn't have a greatest outing uh, yesterday, um, Pittsburgh also went down, although I think that's a pretty decent Western Michigan team. Um, but you know, a lot of the coastal took a step back yesterday, except for North Carolina. So I, I think they've still got a chance and probably are the favorite. If anybody wanted to, you know, get asked, um, uh, like today or tomorrow, who's the favorite in the coastal. I'd say 90% of people would say North Carolina at this point. So that's where they want to be, regardless of how they get there at the end of the regular season, they want to be the coastal division champs and have a shot at a Clemson team that isn't playing with the same deck of cards they normally are playing with. So, um, that that's where they've got to keep the stay on track there, uh, to get to where they want to be. Indeed. College football seasons are long. Carolina stuttered, um, but seems to have got some footing. And Miami looked like Miami of old yesterday, and that ain't a good thing. It looked like jogging after guys, running for touchdowns, and those type situations. I, I don't understand how you could have that many athletes and not be able to tackle at all. And, and jog. I saw one play, the Michigan State guy was just like, he was jogging, and the Miami guys were jogging, and the Miami guys were hitting other people, not the guy he was supposed to hit. It was bizarre. Bizarre we team. might be seeing late season Miami by, you know, game four. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 that's the, the problem when, when you open with Alabama, folks. That's yeah. what I've said. Yeah. They have wrecked more seasons opening in season openers and wrecked complete seasons. They've wrecked even. programs. I mean, mm. let's, look at, let's look at Florida State now in terms of what happened to that program after they played <laughs> Alabama. They outplayed Alabama for a half and then lost their quarterback in the second half. And that program has not been the same since, since losing to Alabama that year. They, they went seven and six that year after being in the top four prior years. I mean, you can, remember they came into that year, what ranked third or something like that. We used and, to joke about that so much with Florida state and Miami every year, every year, Miami would be, you know, their hair's on fire. They're killing everybody. And then, they play Florida state and then Florida state beats them like 50 to three and Miami's no more good the rest of the year. You know, that's just how the same script every year, never deviated. Miami looked great till they played Florida state and then it would be over for them. Yeah. So, you know, but now it's, I mean, Alabama has, like I said, they've wrecked full programs. I mean, you think about since that game, Florida state, I think is something like, uh, I Terrible. think they may be a half game better than, than Wake Forest. I, I don't think I'm, I'm prepared to put well, Florida State's demise as we know it all in that bucket, though. No, but, it's, but it sure is a convenient narrative <laughs> in terms of talking about where Miami's good, where Miami's headed. 
is a, it is uh it is back fun again boys uh, these are always so much more fun when tar heels win a ball game so i expect we'll be discussing this very thing a week from now it's been the day after podcast buck sanders always jason staples always i'm the host tommy ashley johnny t-shirt blue shark hmm. all that stuff uh join us again we're going to have a fun on the beat live Tuesday night at nine o'clock streaming on YouTube. If you're listening to this, you need to be watching that. That should be a fun one, but Jason and Buck, I appreciate it on a Sunday morning. We out later guys. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The challenge all-stars new season now streaming on Paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply.